And we are live with our 38th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter. Uh, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again. We're now 38 episodes in. Um, so I, I finally feel like we have momentum. But for some reason, Ken decided not to dress up this week. So at least we'll have a serious discussion. It's going to be very, very professional, especially as we're joined by Matt Conda uh, this week. Um, Matt is an all-around great guy. He's been on the board of OWASP for a number of years. Uh, he's currently the CEO of Gemini. Gemini. Is that what we decided? Gemini. Dang it. I almost got it. Sorry about that, Matt. Which we're going to ask him about that name. but Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit, uh, but it's great to have everybody everybody back once again. Uh, there's a lot to talk about this week. There's been a couple of cool announcement and announcements and events that have happened. I mean, we've got AWS that's running a reInvent that's running right now as well. So there's stuff coming out of there. Um, so if you've got questions, feel free to hit us up on Slack, Twitter, or even email us. I would love to, or on the the YouTube page, of course, as always. Um, Ken, did you have anything else you wanted to add here at the beginning? No, just I think you covered it. Uh, Matt's, uh, Matt's also uh, done a lot of speaking. Um, the glue tool, uh, that's something that Matt works on that's open source. Um, just all around, I've known Matt for, for a while now, uh, and he's always trying to improve OWASP and, and AppSec in general. So glad that he could join us. Um, and we're about to get into a topic where he can uh, kind of talk to sort of uh, what happened. So, I mean, Seth, did you actually catch up any, uh, did you have a chance to, to see the event stream flat map thing unfold? Yeah, I, I followed it a little bit. So this is basically our AppSec Minute for this week. Uh, you know, it really has to go along with trusting third-party libraries, right? I mean, we've, we've got what the OWASP, uh, I can't remember what, which number it is. Matt could probably tell us, right, Matt? A9. A9, there you go. OWASP A9, um, which is, you know, third-party libraries and insecure configurations or untrusted content, whatever you want to call it. Components uh, or something like that. Yeah, yeah there you go. Components. Uh, but using components like I, with known vulnerabilities. There you go. Yeah, using components with known vulnerabilities. Got it. I, I knew it was in there. I always just, like, go to Google and pull it down when I add it, right? So... It's required reading if you want to be on the board. I'm just kidding. It is required reading. You have to have them memorized. Is that the first test? It's yeah, like people, people tend to notice if you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I just disqualified myself. I'll try again later. Dang it. Um, so I like I followed it a little bit, but I've been really heads down. I mean, this is fourth quarter for you know consultants, and so I'm I'm really just trying to survive day to day at this point, make sure I get all the work done that needs to be done and fend off the people that want work for less than they, you know, should ask for it at this time of year. So, um, I mean, Ken, you've been following pretty closely. It sounds like Matt, you have as well. Um, I, Matt, do you want to kind of give us a rundown of what exactly happened? Sure. And I think it's interesting. So first of all, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Um, I'm excited. Um, I appreciate the acknowledgement. Um, wow, thanks for joining us. We do appreciate it. Yeah. The, uh, the, the thing that's interesting about this is I would actually maybe split hairs around whether this is actually A9 or not. 
because I think of A9 as being like, hey, you're using old struts, and we all know struts as a vulnerability, right? Whereas this is, so what happened in this case was that there's a library called Event Stream, and somebody who um, wanted to um, subvert that project got themselves uh, access as a committer. They basically asked in an email, like, hey, or GitHub, like, can I become a committer? And they, the person who was maintaining it was not actively maintaining it anymore and said, yeah, sure, you can be a committer. And the person committed something that was actually kind of subtle. It was a, this library flatmap stream, which they introduced with a uh, an interesting sort of series of steps. There was a vulnerability in it, and they released it with source code and mapped to that. And then they fixed the vulnerability in source code. So if you went and looked at source code, it would be fixed. But the dependency was old. And so this event stream was depending on this older flat map stream that basically had um, a backdoor in it, if you think. It's like running code that you don't intend. And it um, it got included in a, in a Bitcoin wallet, which is why people started to really care. But in this case, you know, this is a library that you know, people didn't even realize they were importing. And so it raises kind of different questions to me than A9, where A9 is like, you just didn't even check that you're using something really old. This is more like, how do you manage an ecosystem with thousands of libraries that you have to use open source, but you can't trust everything? Like, how do you set the bar? Is Apache okay, but, you know, something else isn't? How, how do you make those kinds of decisions? Do you use a curated repository? We've seen that where people say, hey, we're only going to trust libraries that come out of this repo where we've reviewed the source code and put it there. But that slows you down in lots of ways because you don't get updates until your team has time to review that code. Um, yeah, plus if security vulnerabilities are uncovered later, uh, then you've got this old outdated version of that vendor dependency that you right. now have to rely on patching. Right. Good luck. Right. So it's like these A9 vendors are going to stand up, I don't name names, but they're going to stand up and be like, oh, we would have protected you from that. But like, they only protect you from that after somebody knows about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's always been like one of my issues. Like, uh, I mean, we've got NPM audit now, right? <clears throat> which was, it used to be what, uh, NSP, um, which I think even came from retired JS or something, right? But that, that was always my, and that's always been kind of my, my take on that whole thing is it's great for another check um, as far as, hey, we want to make sure that we don't run anything that we obviously know is outdated, but there's no way that it can prevent uh, malicious code from being inserted in there or any sort of active attack. Um, I, I mean, this whole event stream issue really harkens back to the, uh, what was it, that left hand issue that we had a few years back where the maintainer just was like, screw it, I'm out, took it down and it crashed all those yeah. projects because everybody yeah. depended on it, right? It was like five lines of code. Um, and like you could almost see something like event stream coming because of what happened there, right? Um, and then even at that point, right, Ken, didn't we talk about the uh, there was the blog post where the guy did actually talk about inserting himself into uh, Node projects, like Node yeah. open source projects. Yeah, I think it. I think it was npm. I don't think it was Rube. Matt. Matt. Hey, for one, I just realized, Matt. For once, I have somebody who actually does like Ruby and Rails uh, security work, and like, I'm not alone on this podcast for once. <laughs> I'm always the outcast. <laughs> not tonight. Not tonight. <laughs> at least two Crap. of us. 
<laughs> I put in my solution, by the way, to uh, fix this sort of situation. It's uh, called No Code by Kelsey Hightower. Write <laughs> yeah. nothing, deploy nothing. Uh, I seem to remember that one, right? So, I, I mean, along those lines, right? So what what is the fix been then that you've seen deployed? I mean, is it people just rolling back to a previous version or has it been updated? Uh, like, like honestly, I haven't I haven't paid too much attention to it. There's an update that removes that dependency. So if you update that stream, that dependency will go away. Okay. We have a couple of node projects, which kind of hurts my soul a little bit because I'm a really a Ruby a Ruby person, but um, my team likes node, so we do things in node now. And uh, so now you live in callback hell. Oh, it's really sad, actually. How bad I am at that. Like, that's, why that's, are there promises and async and all this stuff? I'm like, come on, like, can I just write, you know? But I get it, I get it, there's benefits to it. I just have to spend more time in it. Yeah. Yeah. We've been using TypeScript a lot, which I actually like. Um, gives you a little bit more, a little bit more structure. TypeScript's, TypeScript's a better way to, or syntactically, the way it visually looks and is written to me is more appealing than, yeah, just straight out JavaScript. Uh, I do like TypeScript. Um, and I think you can, can't you do like, can't you interchange, like write both TypeScript and convert back to JavaScript if you wanted to in the same app? I thought that was possible. You can, yeah. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, it's basically the same ecosystem, right? So we wrote, I just the other day wrote a, a visual code, visual studio code extension to do like assisted security code review, basically it'll, find candidate issues. So while you're looking at source code, it's like, oh, your errors. And it's like looking for the same things I grab for every time I do a code review. Um, and it was really cool and easy to write. There's a whole platform for that built into code, that VS Code tool. But with five explicit dependencies on my main project, I had 900 transitive dependencies in my node project. In my project. 900? In 900. Off like five. So you installed five node libraries, and out of that, there were 900 attached yeah. to that. And I mean, our tool, like our, our tool that we're, we're building, and I don't know if we'll talk about it or not, has over 3,000, right? It's, it's, I mean, I thought 70 or 90 was a lot, but when you have 3,000 dependencies, it becomes a whole different challenge. And I think one of the one of the things that would be really interesting to talk about, although I don't have any answers, is like just complexity in security, right? I mean, we, we, we have all these really advanced tools in specific areas, but it feels like we keep falling down because there's so much complexity. Like solving the, the actual problems are hard. It takes a lot of work to go from, hey, I have an idea that's right, to we, we're doing it right. Yeah, right now it's sort of that like freedom does not equal safety type of situation where, you know, um, if you want to have the freedom to write uh, flexible applications that have a bunch of libraries um, that you can, you know, shortcut doing that yourself and you can rely on these other libraries, then you have to acknowledge that, you know, you're going to lose a bit of safety because uh, there is no, I mean, that's really the, 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 there's no perfect solution right now, right? I mean, you're, it's like you said, because once, because then it's a, any any uh, anything you do is going to be after the fact, right? Like you said, it's got to be a known. Well, actually, I wonder if any of these vendors actually do uh, like internal research on any of these. But even so, like I guess I guess even if they did internal research on these libraries, it wouldn't it couldn't 
it's not like they could do that on every single library that's you know that's out there it'd have to be very specific i'm guessing if that does happen it's based off of like how like how often it's used yeah yeah well, I, I mean, that's that's just the issue, right? If you go into like that package count uh, website, right, and just look at NPM or it, by itself, you're talking probably almost a thousand packages a day that are uploaded that are new. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, you know, like Matt, your team, you know, 3000 packages just tracking what's changed on a daily basis is is a job in and of itself, not even you know talking about what those changes are and whether or not it affects the security of of an application, but just tracking the changes is difficult enough. Well, and that points to a problem that I end up talking about a lot with developers, which is like, hey, you need to keep your dependencies updated in general. Because what happens is you don't, like I never did. I wrote a bunch of code. It's like, you know, wrote to, a, to an API. And then two years later, I hadn't updated this dependency because why would I? I break things, right? And I've been burned by the other side of that. I had a Hibernate issue once where an integer, an ID used to be an integer in Hibernate, and then it became a long, and all my code just broke. And I didn't realize that that was happening, right? I had to go change a bunch of code to make it work again. And that was a really minor change. It wasn't like a signature change, it was just a type, right? Um, but but if you don't stay updated, then the, the, the API signatures for all the methods you use kind of, they sort of grow apart, right? And so it just gets harder and harder to update as a developer the longer you wait. Oh, but yeah. You don't get, you don't get, you don't get paid for it, right? You don't get, nobody, nobody's like, oh, wow, you're so great. You, you stayed up to date. Yeah. I mean, I've had, I've had those same problems, right? Like, so maintaining the hacker tracker stuff for DEF CON, like, if I let it sit, you know, eight months and then try and come back to it, I'm like, oh, crap. Now it's a new version of Swift. I've got to support the new APIs in 12 dot whatever. And, I, you know, it's easier for me to make an update every, like, month to two months just to just to maintain that cadence so that when I come back to it, it's not a huge effort to make, you know, to get it up to date, right. And make sure that it, that it all works. Um, so I can only imagine, and that's just a small project. That's pretty easy to maintain and do like, even with that, that those pain points, uh, but something that customers are depending on or open source libraries, you're not maintaining anymore. I, I can totally, I, I totally get that main developers like, Hey, somebody else wants to take this, go for it. Right? Yeah, I've but had those moments. Yeah, <laughs> I've had those moments in the last six months. We'll say where I'm like, if somebody came right now and was like, "I'll take over," for example, Rails Goat. Like, uh, someone's like, "I really want to take over that project for OWASP." I would definitely be like, "Well, I would vet them a little bit better than just you know the way this went down, obviously." But um, but yeah, I mean that that there's if you've ever can if you've ever had a long running uh, open source project. Like, you know, that there's just, you get, you get bored with it after a while, or you, you know, you get distracted or whatever the case is. And you're like happy if somebody is willing to take it over. That is such a good segue to glue. I don't know if you even know this, but there's another leader on glue now. And he just started committing. I mean, one of the best things that can happen in open source, right. Is when people start helping you and contributing and putting in energy and making your tools better. Right. And it, it makes, makes you feel so good that there's like validation from other people who are, contributing to the project. And so I had a similar thing to what you're describing that you want to have happen with Girls Go. This guy was like, hey, I'd like to help. And so he started doing commits and we ended up like after a while getting to the point where, okay, cool. He's legitimately contributing. He's got a vision. I'm pretty busy with the board stuff. Let's let him run with it. I'm only slowing him down at this point. And I felt like, wow, that's success right there. Like 
that project came, and now Omer Hebroni in Israel is running that project, basically, right? I'm helping, but he's, like, really the point person. It's, it's just awesome. It's a great feeling. That's pretty that, – yeah. And what made you – I mean, like, what, what, what was the impetus for you to – for you to build the, you know, the glue tool in the beginning or yes, that's what I meant. So interestingly, as most tools happen, there's a need, right? And when we first started working on glue, we were doing a lot of work with uh, Rails apps. And at the time, Bundler Audit and Breakman were awesome tools, but they weren't, and, and they both ran very easily but we had thousand repositories at this client and it was not going to be something where we could go just like get each dev to run it, right? We had to come up with a better solution for that. And we wanted to be able to integrate the output into something like Jira or like some, we wanted the output of those tools to go somewhere where we can track and resolve it. And so that was really the simplest use case that we started with was let's run Bunnerotted in Blue and then let's put this stuff in Jira. And what we realized, and you know, we didn't really talk about how I got into security, but like I wrote software for a long time before I ever touched security. And what I sort of looked at was, hey, this is not a, like Breakman isn't unique from, you know, Bandit isn't unique from, you know, Checkmarks. I mean, they're obviously different tools, but they're doing something. And if we can abstract what they're doing, we can make it easier for people to use them. And, you know, a lot of people set out to write cool security tools and they're like, oh, I'm going to write this thing and hack this thing or do this thing. And I mean, which is awesome. That's how that drives things forward. I totally respect it and I'm not knocking it. But it, it's sort of a not something that gets a spotlight. It's like how easy is it to use the tool, right? How, how does it integrate into your CICD? How does it, you know, et cetera, right? So four years ago, we were early on thinking about that, right? Like there were people doing it, don't get me wrong, but like it wasn't now everybody's like, DevOps, you have to be doing that. But Glue was kind of like, hey, if I'm running Jenkins or Travis or whatever, and I just want to have security stuff happen, let's let's do it in Glue and abstract it, right? And we realized that, I mean, I love, this is one of the reasons I love Ruby is it's just so easy to write a task. I don't know if you saw this, but at AppSec USA, I did a, a project talk where in half an hour we wrote a whole new task for Blue, where we integrated a new open source security tool, <laughs> like all the way front to back, right? It was like, you that live? yeah, like we live coded it in the session. It was awesome. I mean, I had obviously prepared. I knew what I was going to do. Right, was, right, right. <laughs> no, but there is some level of chance to that with demo gods and whatnot, but that's pretty, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Ruby is very flexible. Seth, very cool. People love it. People love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do remember programming Ruby at some point, right? You know, but and then I saw the light, moved over to, to Python. And now I've got to move to Go, apparently, because that's what all the cool kids are doing, right? That does seem to be what the, good, the cool kids are doing. Mm-hmm. No, but you're you're right with like, uh, like for instance, the with Breakman, one of the distinctions with, with Breakman was that it was easy to run for like developers. And I think that's, part of why it like caught on i mean it works well but it in terms of like um just easeability and and like you said both running it just as a developer with well you you'd mentioned the pipeline so like as a developer you can easily run it on your box you don't need to like have any special security knowledge but also like you can put that in in a in a pipeline and put it in as part of your you know your like you said jenkins testing and it's just easy and now you see like 
I mean, Fortify and uh, let's see the other one. We talk about it all the time. Uh, App scan source. Like they, all these tools have built in like plugins or in Vera. I think Veracode's got one. You put it into like, they've got like Jenkins plugins and CI plugins now for that reason. You know, everybody's kind of realized that's where it's got to go. So it makes sense to like make it easy to actually get up and running and, and going because that kind of like appeal, well, it's it's what makes people want to use your tool. So. In my experience, and, and this is not a knock on those vendors, and I think a lot of them are moving toward using APIs and, and providing APIs and integrating with Jenkins and so forth. Like that's a direction people are moving if they haven't moved there already. But but the fact of the matter is, like a lot of that is still funky. Like I've seen developers take a couple weeks to do one of these integrations, right? Because there's a there's a bunch of issues. You have to use this vendor's jar file to be able to communicate with their server. Like it, it's it's not like oh, there's just a REST API I interact with. For a lot of the security vendors, and I think that's something that <clears throat> I would like to see us push. And it's actually why um, something like I have this OS, OS project called OFF, which is like an open finding format. And the idea would be like, how can we standardize some of these? What you get back and forth when you interact with security tools, so that you know, as a developer, I don't have to write a new thing just to integrate. You know, I'm switching static analysis tools. I don't have to integrate my. I don't have to redo my dashboard. I can just plug in the new one. That makes sense. <clears throat> sounds make I make it sound easy, and I know it's not. I'm not trying to. Yeah, no, no. It, like, it, like it is. It, it, the, I, yeah, I came up from a dev background as well, Matt. And let, we'll we'll get into that here in a minute because I do want to kind of hear your origin story and how you made your way into security. But that's always been frustrating to me is the way like security tools in general are not focused on usability or maintainability it's all hey what cool thing can i do i you know at least with like metasploit you've got a standard they've got a way that you write you know your exploit so it can plug into it hd has done a great job with that and forcing that kind of to you know as the standard in that exploitation space but on the appsec side or even just on the finding side and how we consume and use those tools it's just so all over the board right you've got one that uses a command line. You've got another that's a web interface that it spins up on port 3000, right? It's some node tool. You've got an Electron app. You've got, you know, and it's all, okay, how do you how do you pull this all together to actually get usable data out of it that you can, that you can provide actionable intelligence to the people that really care about security? Because mm-hmm. um, that, that's just it. You're not going to find a, an executive out there that's willing to go run a command line and dump, you know, the tool data. Or even if you, if you dump in that tool data, they don't care, right? right. As much as the security people are going to poo-poo a dashboard, that's what you need is something that'll tell you exactly what's going on, what your security posture is, what the risk is to the organization. I, you know, that's what pays the bills, and that what that's what keeps us employed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sorry, I, you know, I kind of went off there, but like, so I, I definitely see. Like, I haven't played much with glue yet, and maybe. Uh, if you don't mind, kind of give us an introduction to what it is, and you know, we've kind of backed backed our way into it. But give us kind of the the high level overview of what you use it for. Well, so basically, it's a it's sort of it's actually in certain ways inspired by Breakman. If you actually go look at code, there's like Justin definitely had a strong influence on us in terms of how okay. we built it. Um, but it's 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 basically trying to abstract what tools are running and what you want to do with findings once you run a tool um, into a process so that you can 
have that be standard and just plug in new tools as you go. So for example, we define tasks and tasks can be either, you know, we initially, it's interestingly, we, we also started with analyzing AMIs and I, in some ways I feel like we should circle back and look at Docker images now but we haven't done that. Um, but there are certain things you look at on the file system. You run Clam AV, you run hash, you do something to do like, hey, we want to look at a file system and see what's changed or if everything's okay. And then there's like code level tasks where you're running static analysis or secrets analysis or um, dependency analysis. So retire a lot dependency check. Uh, uh, there's security check, which is a Python library. Um, a bunch of different things, usually open source. But those are all sort of code analysis tools. And then there's a live stage where we run like, you can actually drive Zap through its API. Um, now, I just want to say out loud, that particular integration has not been worked on for a little while, so I don't want you to go like be like all excited about it. But the idea is, you can plug in the URL; it'll go run the the light scan, the scan, and then at the end of any of those, you get this bucket of findings. It's a list or a collection of findings, which is a standardized format which we've abstracted from whatever that tool did, right? It's XML, JSON, whatever it is. We standardize it into a object type that we can now parse. Then we have the idea of filters because usually most tools produce a lot of false positives. So the idea is you could have an extensible spot where you could say, hey, you know what? I know I only ever want to see one X-Frame Options issue from Zap because it's going to give me one for every different page that returns without a header set. And I really only care about that once because I'm going to set it in my web server and be done, right? Um, and then a reporting tier where whatever you have left in your collection gets pushed wherever you want to send it. So it could be CSV, it could be uh, JSON, it could be Jira, Pivotal, uh, I want to say um, Omer, one of the things he did was put it into uh, the Microsoft tool set, which is like the key foundation servers, I think, right? Um, so the idea is to abstract like where you want the data to go and how, what tools are running so that that process is easier to manage, which is why it's called Glue. It's kind of a glue process that holds everything together. Yeah. What, what do you think it would take to get, I know it's like kind of off, for the uh, OFF, for that for that uh, file format um, that you had mentioned, you know, like what what so what would be the roadblocks to getting some adoption there? Like, are are vendors incentivized to? I mean, obviously, when you write when you write support for any particular, like it's JSON or XML or CSV, like you, there's some time spent on that. So maybe that's. I don't. I guess the really incentive. Be, I think that's the problem, actually. Right, so so I think when a vendor comes in, they want you to use their dashboard, and like right, not rightfully so, but understandably so, right? Like they're not sticky if you're not using and don't know you're using their tool, right? If they're just like something that plugs in, in the background, that's not really where they want to play. So most vendors want you to be using their UI, which is why I suspect that those integration points don't get a deep investment. If we had, and this is an idea we've thought about doing, but we've never had time to do, if we had like an open security dashboard, you know, take Defect Dojo and put it on steroids or something like that, something like really neat that you could just ingest stuff into, now, and, and you were driving to use that, now vendors might have a reason to expose that so that it'd be easier to get it in, right? Um, yeah, but I mean, there are also other successful, just to briefly acknowledge Dan Cornell and ThreadFix, right? Because that's a related sort of tool where they're synchronizing their data and pushing it into a, a place as well. Slightly different place in the architecture, right? Like they're adjusting the output of the different tools. Um, they're not really running the tools. But it's, it's, it's obviously a problem, I think. 
Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. I, I, I was going to ask about defect dojo. No, I, you know, just, I, you know, along those lines, right? Like I can see where it's fitting because defect dojo does have some of those same traits. Like it'll go out and run different tools like a Nessus or something like that. Um, and just that data. Um, but as I, you know, as I, you know, the more that I've used defect dojo and we've been trying to implement it with, uh, you know, some customers that I've been uh, dealing with, uh, it, it, you can tell that it's pretty immature. And again, it's, it's built by security people, right? Um, and, you know, they, it's got a ways to go, uh, you know, so we've been talking about, all right, as we make improvements, we're going to be pushing these back into the tree and back into the open source repo, just because we may as well give back. And that's what the, you know, that's what the customer wants as well. But at the same time, I, I feel like there's a great like kind of integration point between glue and that, right? I, I know Matt talked about his whole, his whole, the AppSec pipeline project as well. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, so are you working with him from a glue perspective on that, you know, to kind of integrate those, all of those pieces together? Well, it sounds like you kind of handed, handed it off though. Well, I still work on it. Um, I think, so I don't want it to sound like I'm not doing it. It was more a, I'm not actually probably writing the most code for it now, but I still write code. Um, I think it's a good question. You know, we've sort of experienced one of the classic problems with open source and OWASP as, you know, as the answer to that question, right? It's like, hey, I'm interested in this thing. Here's my vision for how I can fix it. I'm going to go, right? Matt's got his vision for how he's going to fix it. Like, we're both smart, but we didn't, we can't necessarily get to where, and I have a ton of respect for Matt T. Like I'm not, I'm absolutely acknowledge it. And I like point to him when I talk about the pipeline and all that, but like our, our vision for how that actually works is a little different. And I don't know that he has, he's got, I don't know that his tools fit exactly the same way that I think they should. Right. And again, I'm not critiquing him. I'm just saying we have slightly different visions of the world. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, nobody's going to build the same thing, you know, the same, you could give three people, you know, all the same objective and they're going to build it three different ways, right? It's not, yeah. Which, which is, I mean, again, not to nudge, not to segue into OWASP talk, but like that is a challenge that it, it's both a challenge and a blessing that the OWASP community has, right? We have lots of great people who are doing interesting work, right? As a newcomer from the outside, it's sometimes hard to know what the most relevant projects are, right? And that's where we came up with that sort of flagship lab incubator concept was to try to help people more easily navigate that. But the fact of the matter is there's lots of good projects. I mean, we, Glue was an incubator project for two, three years because I was like, well, I don't need money, so I don't have the incentive to do that work to go get it promoted. You know what I mean? Um, Sorry, I'll pause and redirect where you're interested. <laughs> oh, no, I've got. I, well, I so I since you're talking about OWASP, I have some questions about OWASP, but I think that we probably should get to your backstory first, uh, oh, so sure. we don't run out of time, basically. Because um, you're so to for those who may have joined after the intro, uh, Matt runs his own company. He's also on the. Uh, uh, board of Gemini, by the way, and he's also on the OWASP board of directors. So, um, your and your company does training, but it also builds products. And so, you're you're to me, you've always been sort of a person focused on the uh, AppSec solutions, like building things to to fix things. Versus, I, I've never 
you know, I don't know if you guys do services, but I, it all, I've always thought of you as more leaning towards building like actual engineering like solutions rather than, um, do you guys do services? We do services. A lot of them we try to target into sort of custom development around security features. So if you need to do a, like a lot of companies, not a lot, we're small. So to say a lot of companies use us to do this would be totally wrong. But, you know, an example might be, we want to make sure that we see what's happening in the application, kind of like app sensor, but like we want to customize that and build it into our app so that, you know, we're seeing when failed logins happen, when, you know, things that are not implicitly visible just because you're coding on a certain framework, right? Um, so we'll drop it in and we build product security type, type yeah. of work. Yeah. yeah, and we usually work, I mean, we love, <laughs> we love working with startups because that's kind of our people in a sense, if you know what I mean? Like we're small and hungry and trying new things all the time and learning different technologies and, and playing with Docker Kubernetes and this thing and that thing. And like, so it's, it's fun for us to get to work with companies that are also sort of adopting technology quickly. Um, when we started, it was a lot about doing agile because a lot of people weren't really doing agile yet, didn't know how to do agile with security because it felt like you're just taking the training wheels off and going and like there's no control over what's happening in your process. And now people have come to terms with, oh, wait, if we just do Agile correctly and we talk about security when we talk about our features, we can do okay, right? So it's becoming, I think it's become a very accepted, like, oh, okay, yeah, you can do Agile and be secure. But, you know, seven years ago when I started the company, we didn't necessarily think that was where people were, right? Um, in particular, the security community was not there. They were like, wait, we need this, like, week-long window where we do our pen test and our static analysis and all this stuff. And then you need another two week window to fix everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's how this works. Yeah. Um, so, so you're, you're so you're you, so you've got this background in development. You've you're doing you're working. You've, you've you own your own startup. You're you know uh, <laughs> actually every time I talk to you, you're always on the road doing something. Like you're you're always busy. Um, but you know clearly, like you've um, you know you're you're speaking. You're growing your company. You're doing all these things. Um, like what got you there? Let's talk about your origin story. Like how, first of all, the one thing I always want to figure out from people, I think, uh, well, Seth and I both always like to know, like at what point in your life did you think security, you know, was for me and then why, but also like, you know, just how you got into this, um, yeah. into where you're at now. Yeah. I, I love telling this story and I think it's fun, but I don't know if other people are interested. So I don't like to necessarily hit them over the head of it. But, um, so I guess the, the story, the easy way to start the story is I'm super interested in math. My dad was a math professor, so I got interested in the math behind cryptography before I understood anything about anything else in security. Um, and I did. A, I, I ended up doing a master's degree in computer science and focused on security at that time. Wrote a thesis paper about like distributed object security. So like if you were serializing objects and sending them around the wire, how would you know you trust them and so forth? Um, and this was, you know, maybe a little bit before Corvo was like widely used, but like definitely object serialization and stuff like that was not something that you saw frequently. Um, but when I finished it, it was kind of like to go into security, you sort of were basically saying you're going to go be a sysadmin, which nothing against sysadmins, but like there wasn't a development aspect to it. And so I kind of lost that trail. And going from like mathematics and cryptography and you know, going after your master's, like, that's got to be quite a switch to, to think about doing, like, you know, 
Linux updates or whatever Windows updates or whatever the case is. Go install a VA product or virus. There's more to it than that. I don't want to offend people. I'm just saying like, obviously some of the challenges can be a little bit more complicated um, in terms of like cryptography. I always love producing something and solving a problem in a way, you know, so, so, and I love, what I've loved about coding is that you can tell you've solved the problem, right? You can, you can run it and it worked. Um, so I spent, you know, over a decade doing analytics and business intelligence and different kinds of, you know, business applications. And then I went and I followed somebody who was formerly the CTO of a company called Redpoint Technologies. That's Steph's name of his LLC. So. Yeah. Which, which has to do with climbing, right? That's the analogy. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It does. Yeah. It's, Lead climbing. We could get into it, but we don't need to. So when's the last time you went climbing, Seth? Not not to be like you know <laughs> hey, hey, hey jerk. Just... <laughs> a total asshole. Let's see. Yeah, it, it, it's it's been a while. It's probably oh, I was in a gym probably about a year ago, but it's been a long time. That was more college days for me. So I gotcha. So I followed the guy who was the CTO at this red point company to a security company called Trustwave, which you can see if you're if you look at my background. And I joined engineering there, so I was not actually part of the cool Spider Labs group. So there was like a at that time Nick Prococo ran Spider Labs, and they were you know they were doing twenty plus talks at DefCon and a couple at Black Hat every year. And so I went along with them. And there was a guy John Rose who really sort of showed me. Like I remember walking into a hotel room at one of the can't remember which one it was and. You know, Fyodor of NMAP fame is sitting there, you know, we're just chatting. And, he, you know, I was like, man, this is awesome. Like, there's all these hardcore people. And you can just walk in and talk to them because at that time the field was, like, I think maybe more open. Maybe it's still open. I don't know. Um, but we kind of got into it. And and John was really the one, and I got to give him credit, he's really the one who kind of got me into security. And we did this talk called Builders versus Breakers. And so I was building these apps that were, like, running scans, running – a CA running a bunch of different products, right? And so our job there was to scale up and build the product infrastructure, right? So, um, you know, whatever you think of their products, that's not necessarily my point. Um, <laughs> but but we, we did a lot of- I don't of know their game. products, to be honest with you. So yeah. I am totally unbiased. I don't know what- I'm not, I'm not trying to provide commentary. I'm just saying we built a lot of the infrastructure and it was interesting work and all that. But we had Spider Labs folks come and pen test our stuff and break my my apps left and right, right? And they thought of things I never thought of. They found things that I should have thought of, right? There are a lot of things that I learned from having the apps broken that way. And that kind of inspired this Builders versus Breakers talk, which John and I did, I think, at Apps Like USA in Austin in 2012 or something like that, right? So um, we fought, basically. You know, he played the role of the pen tester. I played the role of the developer. He's like, you're stupid. I was like, but I'm not incented to write secure code. Like, nobody knows, nobody cares. He's like, but you can't do it. Everybody needs you to be responsible. And I'm like, well, but where's the line? Like, I could write extremely secure code or I could write sort of secure code. Like, where do you want that line to be? Right? And, like, we were trying to make the argument of, like, nobody really knows what to do for security, right? Like even if we were trained, there's no like clear, you should always do this, right? Um, no, I feel like it's just, the same way with assessments. Like yeah. 
Yeah. You can, you, do you want an ultra, ultra secure assessment? Because if you want that, that's going to cost you that's right. cost more than you're likely willing to pay. But do you want to sort of secure? Like we covered the big bases. Sure, we can right. do that. Right. Same deal. Right. And so then eventually after a couple of years there, um, you know, and, and getting to know a bunch of the, the pen testers in that group who, you know, have helped me a lot. I split off on my own in, 20, in, in 2012 to basically, at the end of 2012, to basically start trying to focus on helping developers. Like my goal was to seek out developers and figure out how to teach them security, which is why we do a lot of training. It's also why we do a lot of work with like coding with libraries that developers end up using, right? We're trying to make it easy for them to do the right thing um, kind of thing. In fact, we're trying to figure out how we can open source some of the things we've been doing. Um, it's just tricky because there's like tentacles into client work, right? And so it's hard to know, like we have, we have to kind of clear a bunch of people to be able to make that all happen. Um, but that's kind of the origin story, you know? It's like, got shown that I was not actually that good at this. Um, thought I was a pretty decent developer, but like realized, okay, I still don't know a lot of things. And, you know, sort of wanted to go, I remember the first time I heard about the OWASP top 10, which, I mean, you'll laugh, because this is actually, considering I made it to the board of the of OWASP, like, I should have heard of the OWASP top 10 in like 2005 or something, right? But like, the fact of the matter was probably like 2010 or 2011 that I first heard about the Wasp Top 10. And I remember doing a survey of like 200 developers that I knew in Chicago. So I used to live in Chicago, I live in Dallas now, but I did a survey of all these people in Chicago and I said, hey, how many of you know about the Wasp Top 10? And it was like less than 3% at that time, right? It was amazing how low that was. And so I basically said, hey, you know, I would like to get more deeply involved with the Wasp. I think OWASP is great, but like what we need to do is actually bridge over to this developer community. Um, and I'll be blunt, I was very like political about it. I went to people who were prominent in Chicago, people who were prominent in other places and said, hey, I want to go on the board, I want to do this, will you support me? And they did, and that really helped me run for the board and try to bring this developer message to OWASP. And I mean, no, being, I, 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 want, I, mean, want, like, I feel like I've done all the right stuff to a certain extent, but I actually feel like I've got I failed in a lot of ways because my goals were so much higher, and we've been able to like we've seen lots of new challenges with OWASP. We've lost two EDs. <laughs> we've had yeah. I is that a touchy <laughs> subject that we shouldn't talk about? Because I definitely wanted to ask, but like part of no, me is like I don't know if he wants to talk about that on. You can on talk about that. What's that? You can talk about it. Well, I guess the only the only reason I I was going to ask was because. Um, because I got, uh, I won't say people's names, but I had, uh, I got contacted over the summer to, um, for the sort of what you're talking about, just like for opinions on where, you know, OWASP can go. And we got this new uh, uh, director and, uh, you know, like this is the, um, we're trying to tackle these challenges. And so like I wrote back this like, you know, length, fairly lengthy, lengthy thought out uh, email um, about, stuff and and it's like then fast forward to like this month was it this month where that new director's gone and it it's like what you know makes me wonder like if it's difficult for people to you know if like i guess if if it's not the same person in charge does it make traction gaining traction difficult and also is it that 
I wonder with that position, like, cause OWASP is such a, it's made up of so many people and it is so far reaching now. If it's, if it's not just such a, such a, such a challenge that like, maybe that's why turnover is a bit higher than you, you might expect. I actually don't know the answers. These are just questions that I have, I guess. Yeah, I think they're really good questions. And, and I think the fairest way to answer that question, you know, so the current EV, whose last day I think is Friday, um, we selected as someone who was outside of the industry to come in and help us think in new ways and recruit into new different arenas, get people in the industry more involved, um, formalize our conference space. Uh, she had tons of experience with running large events. We thought that there would be a number of things that would sort of be smoother with that. And, you know, I was part of the board that decided to hire her, and we thought that was a good direction for OWASP at that time. And I honestly think she did everything she could have. Like, I, I don't want to fault her. Um, you know, we've not necessarily agreed on everything, but, but I don't think that, that it was, like, categorically a problem. I think, I think it turned out that she just had other, like, she, she really did the travel and, and park type of, like she, she had a niche and I think she didn't realize how much she'd be able to leverage that niche when she went back to it. And so, um, I know so it's I a tough, we, it's a no, tough, no, no, I think tough we, subject, reached yeah. a little bit, we reached a little bit to try for something and it was more risky maybe than we realized. I think it's fair. Right. Um, we were trying to get someone who was a little bit more not business oriented because we definitely want the open part of the community, but someone who could lead us into, you know, figuring out how to do a bigger budget, a bigger strategy, a bigger nonprofit world, right? Like, I mean, and, and just being blunt, right? Look at PCI Council, uh, uh, IC2, right? Like, and it's not that we want to be like IC2, but their revenue dwarfs ours, like ridiculously dwarfs ours, right? But a lot of people feel very passionate about the OWASP community, right? So how do you figure out how to keep that passion and, like, absolutely keep our values, but, you know, figure out how to have a broader impact, right? If you look at the industry, security is becoming a very prominent thing people care a lot about. If OWASP doesn't grow, it's kind of a failure. You know what I mean? Like, like Yeah, we no, just, well, the, the, and the thing is, like, too, is that uh, – you know, I've had, cause I've had this conversation where, you know, it's like, well, OWASP has, uh, you know, there's, there's people that are pro OWASP. There are people that are like, oh, there, you know, there needs to be this, that, and the other. Um, and like my, my take on it is for, like, it's kind of what you said back when you first learned about the OWASP top 10, how many developers knew about the OWASP top 10 then and how many know about it now? Almost all the time when I talk to developers, they have at least heard of the OWASP organization, if not the OWASP top 10. So clearly something's working there. Well, now we need an, an organization that advocates for um, these projects for collecting, you know, for being a collective um, body of, uh, you know, just a source of knowledge and cheat sheets and guides and things like that. Right. So cool. Like what's the response? Like, do you just, you know, you, you, you can't, I mean, what are you going to do? Like say like, Oh, you know what? Throw out everything OWASP has ever done and we'll go down a different road. And how are you not going to end up in the same place? You're going backwards. At least what, this is the one thing I'll say is like, at least with, uh, with OWASP, it's not doing the same thing. Like you said, you took a risk. Well, that's fine. I mean, that's good because you don't want the same and like not to, you know, we've had in the past, uh, and I know I'm ranting here, but I, I know in the past we've had, uh, situations where there's like been, um, 
called to the carpet, uh, you know, hey, this is like vendor influence here. And, and, and those people like had tentacles into OWASP and all that. Regardless of how you feel about it, um, the fact that you're bringing somebody from completely outside the industry, trying something completely new, new shows that, uh, yeah, well, risks have their downsides. They have their upsides as well, but at least it's not the same old, same old people running things. So I guess it's my, my long-winded way of saying, like, cool, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet, right? Like, it's going to happen. Yeah. But well, it's worth my it. Net, my net takeaway is that there's not a better community that I'm part of, like, in security or out of security. Like, with developers, with, like, like the Ruby community is great. The OWASP community is great. You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm sure you've been involved with the Ruby community. Like, they're just a cool group of people, right? Yeah, it's a great group of people, yeah. Right. OWASP is like that to me. And the, the people who run the chapters, the people who run projects are amazing, amazing people, right? Um, and there's nothing that we can do. <laughs> that's, like, one of the great things about it. There's nothing that we can do that's going to actually really damage them, right? Like, like we, like, think, oh, we're on the board. We're these prominent people, blah, 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 blah. But, like, the beauty of the whole model is we can't mess it up. <laughs> yeah, it's completely it's distributed. Great, it's all these great people, right, contributing. And so I look at it as, hey, our job is to, to do everything we can to make it easier for those people, right? And it's frustrating because, you know, we have to have a bureaucracy to send, spend money. Like I was just dealing with something for, you know, one of the major project maintainers wants to get reimbursed for something. And, like, of course they should, but the check didn't get mailed. So how do we track that down? It's a pain in the butt. And it's like, like that shouldn't be a, something that anybody worries about them or us in a way, but it's a fact of that kind of operation, right? You have to do those things if you want to promote people. So I guess what I'm saying is I think there are a lot of challenges with OWASP as a foundation. I think the communication on email lists in particular has been really frustrating. When I ran for the yeah. board, people were like, Jesus. People were like why, why, why do you even want to be part of OWASP? Like it's so toxic, right? And so, We've been trying to retire those lists. That's on the near-term agenda right. to like get those lists gone and be able to use Discus or, or Discord or one of the <laughs> conversational platforms where things can be more moderated. You know, if you look at Slack, for example, it's actually much more. The, the OS of Slack is much more, I think, um, like personable. They show decor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My God, I mean, I've been on this. I'm on the project lead list, and I'm and I'm just like, because this is the thing is uh, when I had mentioned. Uh, the uh the last director stepping down and you know like talking to, and i mentioned the the you know is it possible or i had asked is it the challenge of the job i was part of that was reading those mailing lists i'm like i don't want to yeah. deal with that shit i don't know i it's yeah. not even directed at me i look at my phone and i'm just like are you kidding me people like you know these there's matt when matt was on here he said there were six six of you running a global organization i'm like y'all think that's gonna you know like give some benefit of the doubt. I don't know. Yeah. And, and, and at least try to be polite to each other. Well, I think it's interesting because on the positive side, I think a lot of the, the community think that the foundation is like much bigger and more powerful than it is. <laughs> right? The downside yeah. of that is that they may be disappointed more often than they should be. Right. Because they expect us to be able to turn around a payment quickly. Right. Um, and, and what we've tried to do is to sort of build in, okay, we've got reasonable processes so that those things are predictable and we can explain how they work, right? And so you know it's fair at the very least, right? But we don't necessarily expect a day turnaround for everything. You know what I mean? Um, and I mean, I'm no, not going to say there haven't been challenges, Ken. Like, there definitely have. But I think the, 
the majority of the 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 people that work with with OWASP are really sort of thrilled to see the community grow. And when we go to an event, if you go to AppSec USA, like the people who are part of the foundation are just kind of in awe of the community. It's like we look around and we're like, these people are amazing. Like Travis, I mean, and the whole group that ran AppSec, I mean, it's just amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, these these people are, you know, there's a lot of people volunteering to keep this stuff going and they care a lot. So uh, you're right. Like there's, there's even... And like for what I said, and honestly, I meant it. Like it's good. I I feel like it's good that you guys are you continue to like, yeah, continue taking a little bit of risk, right? Like continue shaking things up a little bit. That's that's, that's how change, uh, positive change, can occur. So yeah. Well, it's funny because we're we're a lot of us are in security, right? So we get obsessed with compliance. And I like one of my things is I really wish we would spend less time talking about compliance and more time talking about you know funding strategic projects or something like that. Like. But it's hard, you know. You have to do both. Anyway, I'll stop talking about OS. But it is something I'm obviously passionate about. I'm thrilled to be, you know, finishing out my second term. Uh, it's been a really good experience. I appreciate what the community's brought in so many ways, and both of you are included in that. Um, well, yeah. Sure. So, you know, now that you're wrapping that up, you know, you're going to have all this spare time, right? It's not like you're running a company or something. What What's next? You know, and what's on your horizon, you know, both with the company and with yourself? So it's it's a good, great question. Um, we so from an OWASP perspective, I will certainly be diving into some projects. I'm not sure. Certainly, some glue. Um, I'll, I'll get to spend some time on glue. I think it's likely. I mean, I have a couple ideas like that dashboard we just talked about. I've been talking with someone who I met at AppSec USA about a core sort of unit test framework where you could sort of easily write tests that show security issues and have that be like a common platform where a lot of that is like out of the box ready to go so that you could almost, I've always wanted to deliver pen test findings as like unit tests. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't see that as being practical, but like, I, like I'd like to explore that a little bit. Um, Seth, Seth would love that idea. He's big into unit <laughs> tests. I, I am. I am. Pen I mean, they're just glorified QA testers, but yeah, okay. Maybe we can rope you in to help with that. Then that's perfect. We should talk, but you know, the stuff that I have written is in Python. I'll just fair warning. So I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a language snob. I, I like all languages except ones that have space where it has meaning. Oh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I said, I've got to move to Go now, so. We'll, I, you know, Go drives me crazy because all the libraries live in that home directory. I'm like, well, how do you do anything? Like, I like to have a directory with my project in it, and all the dependencies are under my project folder. I don't want my home directory to have all my Go stuff. Like, that drives me nuts. Hey, oh, we've hey. talked at length about other issues with Go, like pulling directly. I think we talked about it in our secure coding course. We talked pulling about the that Go pulls directly from GitHub. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, GitHub's great, don't get me wrong. No one would ever do anything malicious there, right? You know. Yeah, nobody ever takes over a project, <laughs> namespace, and totally redirects people to their own, or not redirects, takes over that namespace and just has people download their own stuff. That's never happened, right? That's never. Wait, I, I seem to remember something, but yeah, there was so, a nasty thread about it. Yeah, yeah. So, so one of the fun things, just to finish answering your question, Seth, one of the fun things about running a company is 
you know, we're basically a services funding funded company that's bootstrapping to do products, right? So we we try different products. Um, we have a cloud security product now, which is basically like um, checking a bunch of AWS security configurations. Um, we probably will not work on that for much longer, right? We'll either sell it or kill it or something, right? We'll pick up and do something next, right? Maybe we'll do, like, I've wanted for a long time to explore the idea of using AI to reduce false, like to categorize false positives. Like, oh, <laughs> we have plenty of learning data for false positives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, and if you don't, you know, I know I hear Fortify has is, is quite good at generating those. <laughs> Let's not be too bad. I think most tools generate a fair amount of it. Oh yeah, Oops, I put it in the wrong box, but I'm 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 putting the the link to Jasp, by the way, into the chat. Thanks, I appreciate that. And yeah. you know, the good thing is we just have fun, right? Like we're you know we're a bunch of developers. We're, we work together. We try to solve new problems. We you know we geek out during the day about you know what the new thing is and, and writing code in some new thing. And so we really enjoy that angle. Um, we're not necessarily the best at it. We're not the worst at it. We have a lot of fun doing it, and so that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Cool, good. Yeah, what are good. I, I? I did want to ask you because you put it. Well, sorry, Seth. Did you have a question? That, no, no, that go I ahead. Go ahead. no yeah. well, I was just going to ask because uh, we. I kind of curious, like, like what's the, what are some of the biggest challenges of running your own small business? That like, because this is this is something we don't. I don't think we ask a lot of people this, Seth. At it, but I think that we have the rare opportunity where we can ask. Uh, someone this so uh, yeah. What are some of the challenges of running a, a smaller business, or like how many, how small business, just a have. business in general, yeah. startup kind of? Yeah. So we're about six people right now. We were about twenty last year. To just give you an idea, so it's like like a little up and down. So that's one challenge. Um, you know, you kind of have to be able to to roll with the ups and downs. Um, you know, I, I don't think the infrastructure part is as hard as a lot of people do. Um, we use like JustWorks for a PEO. We use QuickBooks for all our accounting. That stuff is actually stuff you can learn and get help with. So that part isn't so hard. I think one of the hardest things is selling. So I, I'll tell people, I think I told someone today, I can walk into a new client or a new prospect and sell them consulting very easily because like they're interested in me and we can talk through a solution. And I mean, I don't win every time, but like, I know what I'm talking about mostly, so it works out, right? Selling a product is a whole different thing. Like selling is a whole different thing. Thinking about who needs something that you have, how you market it, how you get the message out there. We've, we've paid companies to do marketing campaigns for Jask, for example, that turned out to be a total, like we lost, we basically, I don't want to say we threw that money away, that sounds too harsh, but like we basically didn't get it out of it, right? We spent, you know, Easily ten grand on a, on a like very small marketing campaign, just gone, right? Um, and there's always really, there's always there's always these marketing companies and sales, uh, mostly marketing, but they're you know like these SEO experts or they're you know running campaigns or whatever the case is, and like they will gladly take your money and provide no results. It's very it's very hard to to, to especially with what you're. I'd imagine it being more of like a uh, niche sort of product, right? Like that being security in general being difficult to market and get it out to the right people. But in a way that's the hardest thing. Like what you just said actually captured one of the hardest things, which is not 
overvaluing the engineering and undervaluing the sales. So this, like this company, I think was perfectly competent. We just failed in that campaign, right? Like I'm not saying they did a perfect job, but they did a reasonable job and we failed. Like we basically had campaigns to get people to click through and try. I mean, why wouldn't you try a free cloud security product? It's gonna help you find cloud issues. Like, like why wouldn't you do that? Is anybody using AWS? I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, the market should be there, right? Like yeah. there's a huge market for that. Like, we, I mean, we know because, and we built it because we were doing that work for clients. So we know they need it, right? But unless you can convince someone to click, you can't win that, right? Like you can't even get a chance to win it if you can't get them to click through. And, you know, a lot of what we struggle with is framing things in superior engineering terms or technical terms or so forth, where like what matters isn't, isn't, isn't how good the tool is. It matters like how much money am I going to save? What's it going to give me, right? Are you stock too compliant? Are you compliant exactly. with our requirements? We're like, we're testing out an idea that I think is kind of interesting, which we're running at securityprogram.io, where you basically, because we've had this experience with a couple of clients where there's startups, somebody wants to either invest in them or buy their product, but they need to have a good security story to be able to do that. And we're like, well, the amount of money you have is not worth, like you could spend 10 grand and get a pen test, like a very short pen test. And like, but that's not really what you need, right? Like you need to stop and think about like, well, what data do you have? What regulations do you need to be worried about, right? Like, but those are easy conversation things to have. We're like, can we put that in an app? <laughs> right? Like, we'll give you like, like, like the first baby step in an app. And the 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 selling like the lead there is, hey, like you're unlocking business. It's a different, it's a totally different message than you have better cloud security. You know, going all the way back to something you mentioned earlier with Justin Collins' Breakman tool, right? People used it partly because it was free and open. Right. Right. And easy so, to download and install and run. Yeah. Right. Free. And free free and easy. That's the so that one, of the, the combo. one of the sort of defining quintessential problems of building tools for developers is like, other than AWS, they don't pay for shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, it's it's a it's not. I hope we didn't escalate beyond the explicit zone. I was trying to avoid that. No, I mean we're good so far. (laughs) Yeah, well, whatever. Don't worry. Uh, I don't care. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe someone does. I don't care. Uh, We this is our fucking podcast. We'll do what we want. But uh, (laughs) anyway, so uh, moving past that. uh, So I was going to mention though that like it's kind of funny that you talk about startups and you know ten thousand is. Like I know Seth and I have seen that where a company was like all in on selling or uh, sorry, spending like $30,000 on like AppSec work and a cloud security review and all that. And it's like, cool. Did you guys uh, ever install badge readers? Like, did you, like, are you still using that crappy set of wireless routers that are like, you know, they've all getting their whip, their, their web enabled or whatever, you know, like getting the basics right. And, you know, that that sort of takes priority over the thirty thousand or the ten thousand or whatever you know uh, pen test that they're that they're trying to trying to get. So that's right. that's, I mean, that's, a, that's a that's a hard line to walk into, right? With a, with a business though, is you know, I, I like what you're doing with the security program at IO, right? Because you're taking it back to the basics rather than just hey, 
we offer, you know, developer security. So that's what we're going to sell you. I mean, I find that as a consultant, that's hard because I walk in and I like, you see those other problems and you're like, guys, right? Like, I would love to take your 30 grand, but honestly, you know, you should, you should be, you know, you, you need a security person first, right? You've got to be able to consume what I'm going to give you, right? If I give you a bunch of findings and it doesn't change your life, I haven't done you any good, right? Right. Yeah. I percent agree with that stuff, man. Maybe, maybe we can work together sometime. Yeah, yeah, we should. We should. We definitely should. <laughs> there, there's always work. It's Q4, so let's so talk. Yeah. So we're all busy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But no. Yeah, I... It's just a hard problem that I don't think anybody's got a good solution for yet. Um, I, I mean, I know we had Manico on and he was talking about his like, you know, utopian framework that, you know, will not let developers code insecurely and we're going to get there eventually. I'm a little skeptical. Um, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> I, Manico is one of my favorite people in a lot of ways. Like he's a, he's a great, great inspirational dude. And I've heard that whole line. And I think there are grains of truth to it for some companies, right? If you're using Spring, you're probably getting more secure every release because they're adding a little feature here, a little feature here. Their, their defaults, their defaults for like security headers are better. Yep. But like, but like what's actually happening is people are like, you know what? Spring's too old and slow. I'm gonna use Juice. I'm gonna use this other thing. I'm gonna use Scala. I'm gonna use, yep. you know, like like and, and that's one of the great things about being a developer is that you get to choose and, and try these new things and use new technology, right? So the idea that, that, that like we're going to get to this like increasingly evolved framework that just does security for us, I think is maybe, I don't know if I agree with that that's where it's going to go. Come on, come on. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to call Manico out as naive so I we can. Should have, we should have a debate. You guys should have us back and we can have a debate about this. <laughs> I tell you, I've been watching Manico on Twitter. He's been debating people like he's he's got um he, he's had a few uh he's had a few good ones over the last uh, couple of weeks that were interesting to follow. Yeah. Um, I can't remember any of them because I can't remember <laughs> anything. But yeah, no, that's how it. Uh, yeah, I mean, Manico does like does like his discussions, right? You know, for sure. Um, but he does, I mean, he brings up some good points in that, but again, I, you know, when, when we had him on, I, I, I did tell him it was, it was utopian and it's great to think that. And if you work at, you know, Microsoft, Microsoft slash GitHub, maybe, maybe you have the ability to do that, but in most, most startups, the developers are going to come in and they're going to pick the new shiny and that's what they're going to use. Cause that's what they're excited to use. And most likely it's not going to have security built into it. Elixir and Phoenix is my most recent cool thing I've been playing with, right? Like, yeah. Oh, nice. Who gets to do that? <laughs> and Erling's pretty cool, right? But yeah, there's, I mean, there's, and that's just it. There's so many new languages and there's so much that's out there to learn. I, you know, we had Stefan on last week talking about some of that stuff and it's, I, I just don't see the utopia happening anytime soon. I mean, within our like career lifespan, uh, security is always going to be a thing. Unless AI is writing all the code. Oh yeah. Yeah. AI would never make a mistake. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd have bigger problems to worry about at that point yeah. than security. Sure. Like, you know, 
Skynet. <laughs> oh, so so we're going straight from AI to Skynet. That's what's going to happen. Yep. That's okay. always where it, that's where it always goes, man. That's where it always goes. Oh, sorry, Sweet. I'm trying to uh, look at. I've still been looking up trying to find these Jim Manico threads that were really interesting. Um, cool. But well, uh, if I, I find them, I'll, yeah. I'll post links. Well, like we said, Matt, I mean, we've been going for a good hour, a um, little bit over that at this point. Uh, you know, kind of tell us what, what your, uh, uh, like, number one, any conferences or talks that you have planned coming up? So, you know, it's interesting. I saw, I saw you absolutely prepped me for this question, but I don't have any talks coming up and have not figured out any conferences to go to either. Um, I feel like, and, and as much as I'm deeply invested in OWASP and AppSec Cali is amazing, I'm sort of like, I, I could maybe take a break. <laughs> It'll be weird. Um, so we'll figure that out. I think, I don't know, maybe my style would be to go find some developer conferences to talk at, um, yeah. see if I can't see if I can't do that. Um, Oh, no. Yeah. Other, otherwise, I mean, we'll obviously post your Twitter handle. Um, you know, if people want to interact with you, they can they can do it through that um, or the OWASP Slack. Apparently, right? You know, I'm pretty sure you're on there. I'm on there. Are you going to be at, you gonna be at Absec Cali at all? No, I don't think so. Unfortunately. Cool. Cool. So That's okay. I, do, I, I do feel like I have a fun disclosure that I need to make to you, Ken. It's the What's end that? of the podcast, right? It's the end of the podcast, so I can say this, right? Yep. So I, yep. I had this surprise GitHub topic, which I, you obviously avoided. Which because was you're, the, the surprise Git? Which because you're, you're, because you're, a responsible, you're a responsible person. Uh, but I, I do feel like I need to tell you that I'm like a little bit in awe of you because I got denied a job at GitHub at one point in time because I was not technical enough. So, oh my god, kudos to you. It was oh, that's, awesome. the, that's the surprise GitHub topic. Oh, so back no, when I first start, started the company, I was like, wow, you know what would be a great place to work? And I'm really not just trying to pump you up here, but it was like, what would be a great place to work? GitHub. How could you impact developers better than working at GitHub? That's awesome. And I got in. I got like into the interview process. I was doing the live coding exercise with somebody, and we were like in the chatbot doing this thing, doing that thing, using Qbot. And I don't know, it was a long time ago. It was probably 2013 or 2012. And uh, and there was were some. Going, it was pretty. Go ahead. Were you doing? Were you going for security or for engineering? Because security now doesn't. Well, AppSec doesn't have a, a live coding session. It's a takeaway, or it's a. It's like it's like two different sets of homework for uh, in- interviewing. It was it was I don't think it was as separated at that time. It was still flat organization. Like I was talking to I mean and the people there are awesome. Like I know Ben and Scott and like those guys are awesome. But I was like live coding with some engineer who was asking me about like you know active record modeling when you have like degrees of you know relationships and how do you lazily load these things and I'm like. Well, shoot! If it were Java, I would actually know the answer to this. But like in Active Record, I don't know the answer. You know, and I was like, "Oh man!" <laughs> no, don't feel bad. I'm I'm fairly certain I wouldn't uh, uh, have done well in their their just straight up engineering uh, questions. Oh, so I don't doubt very abstract, just fine volumes type of uh, very, something I'm very comfortable with. 
So. Take the praise, man. Take the praise. Take the praise. Yeah, I'll take it. Thanks. But yeah, no, the engineers that we work with, they uh, they they are very, very. Actually, I'm not. Was I saying this to Seth or someone? Uh, Seth, did I say it to you or maybe it was somebody else? Where I was talking about like, I just do the uh, like the dumb like, this looks bad. Throw it over the fence type type deal and someone actually intelligent gets it going i don't know i, I swear i said that somewhere today maybe it wasn't yeah. in the absolute it was in slack yeah it was in like the absolute yeah. absolute channel i think yeah. you were you were talking about it right yeah. i mean that's they it, actually solve the problems yeah <laughs> yeah the, those well, hard I, problems i like to measure the success of a client or like the, the good relationship with a client is like i can give them pull requests that they accept that are fixes like to me that's like okay we're doing it right not not yeah. to you know but it was clear that, that, you know, this interview did not go that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, I'll tell you what, this, when we do interviews, or, well, yeah. I, I don't know, like, I know it's gotten more formalized, basically. So uh, before it was, like, pretty weird. But, yeah. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I meant to make you look at it. what I meant. Oh, well, no, I totally appreciate it. Um, yeah. He, no, he, he, just, always, he always looks good. Don't worry about it. Right? Yeah. Good call. <laughs> so, by the way, there's... The yeah, exactly. I got to up our game, you know. <laughs> you need an ugly sweater, Seth. I'll, I'll or see you what I can call find. A sweater. A sweater. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's, that's where we're at tonight. I see how it is. <laughs> oh, um, two, two rubies so in a row, and this is what happened. If we go long enough, um, no. So uh, I did want to point out that, like, uh, sorry, a couple things. So I guess Dave Corsi, like, we gotta have Dave. We gotta have Corsi on. Actually, um, I'll reach out. I'll reach out to you, Corsi. Um, but, so I guess he was saying you can you can vendor, uh, you know, with Go, and he put a link in there. But uh, he did want to. Um, if you have a sort of like strategy for application inventory in a larger organization. Or if or or if you've seen anything like work, um, anything like that, you can. That's a great of. question. So that, so I'll be pretty blunt about this, and I'm pretty blunt in general. Uh, I thought I had a really good answer to this, and I talked to a company that I can't probably say who it was, and they were at they were look they were like probing like, hey Matt, what have you done here? And it was nowhere near cool enough for what they wanted. So there's like ways to do inventory that are, you know, way ahead of the curve. The, the best things I've seen work practically, um, you know, bigger companies tend to have their own like app actually for doing inventory. So, you know, typically you sort of start in a spreadsheet or, a, you know, just a list of GitHub repos in one organization. And then it kind of graduates into, well, we've also got Bitbucket. I know that's a evil word, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, that's um, fine. <laughs> Some people or, like to use inferior tools, and that's awesome. Right. Or we've got, you know, a like we bought these companies, and so we've got different source repos, right? Like, there's all kinds of reasons why one organization doesn't actually work for an inventory. Um, so then you end up automating some piece of that, right? And and you end up building like a service registry so that everybody knows how to talk to each other, um, which has benefits not just from a security perspective, but from a dev perspective. And the cases where I've seen this work the best, the security information gets integrated with the dev information. So we know who the API is, we know, you know, we know where the API docs are, we know who's on call for it, we know 
where the code is. We know how to contact the team. We also know when, what the security properties of that service are, like when it was last tested, does it process PAI, whatever, right? Like you can sort of integrate that information right into your registry. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting idea of like whether you could write a pretty simple inventory app and do that as an OWASP project. That seems like a possible thing to do. Um, because the reality is it's like a single table with an API. It's not like a super complicated um, piece. The hard piece is like how you get that data in, right? Do you have, you know, something that's just pulling GitHub orgs and you just like build out pieces that push to the, to the service? Um, again, I think some companies have, you know, they want to build their inventory from Mesos or they want to build their inventory from Artifactory or they want to build, like there are different places. Like if you're running code you bought instead of code you built, then you need to like integrate to different places to know what your inventory actually is. Um, and those are not problems that I think there's an easy solution to. And you basically have to build your own automation as far as I know right now. So I don't have a great answer for that. No, I see people build their own. I mean, that's what I've seen is like people building their own tooling yeah. or like you said, pig piggybacking off uh, like what ops has already built to track just like not necessarily inventory, but kind of inventory, like more of like stats on their the applications they've deployed and like have code that you actually can pull in or data from their code that you can pull in. But yeah, like it's still custom even at that point, right? Well, and there's an interesting idea of whether you could build an inventory with a simple dashboard and have that be, that, like, that could be an OWASP project, right? Where it's not opinionated about what tools you're using or how you're storing your code or anything else, it's just those pieces. Um, and again, I'm not saying everything should be OWASP, but just... So what you're saying OWASP is Dave Corsi should start an OWASP project yes. that is targeted to build an application inventory in an automated fashion for organizations. Dave, you're on that, right? Yeah. I'll help. I'll help. I'll totally help. It's, a, it's, it's definitely an unsolved problem, right? Like, I see it in all the organizations I walk into, you know, exactly what you're saying there. You know, they've acquired some company... So half of the apps live in one place, half live somewhere else. And then you've got you know, a couple of people that are spinning up stuff in AWS or whatever else, and they're, they're going on the rogue. So it's hard to actually solve and figure out where everything lives and who's responsible for it. But it has been for years. We had in a previous version of JASP, we had the idea of running an AppSec program through the application where we would run the inventory for you. And it would be, you know, tiering would be baked in, right? Like, so you know where to focus your energy and like your development of which controls apply at which tier would be baked in so that you could say, oh, well, if it's a tier one app, we have to do X, Y, and Z. We're doing code review, pen test, stack analysis, whatever else, right? If it's a tier three app, we're just going to do maybe one of those, right? And you can kind of map out what your program looks like and costs over a period of time based on knowing what your apps look like and who your vendors are and how often you're going to do the work and whatever. Um, and we just realized that anybody who has a company that's big enough to have that kind of inventory has people that are doing that work already that are deeply invested in doing that job. And that app doesn't help them because they've got their opinionated way of solving the problems. Um, yep. But maybe there's an opportunity for like a more open approach where we're not opinionated, right? And we're just like, here's a inventory service. <laughs> Dump stuff in it, right? Here's a GUI on top. You can see what's in it, right? But you don't have to like, we're not trying to help run the program. You just get a, a building block. Yeah, that makes sense. So, Corsi, you're on the hook now. So uh, we'll, we'll follow up with you next week. 
I've got an action item with you too, Seth, though, so watch out. Sweet. All right. Hit me up. That's all good. You know, give me a couple of weeks to, you know, get out from underneath Q4 and then we'll talk. So. It'll just be Q1 and there'll be more work. Yeah. Well, there's always more work, right? But if it's fun, that's the, that's the question. So that, that, that's the priority level right now. If, is it fun? Well, if it's not, then it gets a lower priority. So. Nice. Um, well, good. Yeah. Matt, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for it's having been a good me. discussion. And if you get, yeah, if you're interested, we'd love to have you back on again, you know, sometime in the future, sometime in season two, I guess, because 2019 is going to be season two, right, Ken? Yes, it is. On uh, Jan, it'll have been a year since our first episode, I think on January 8th. So we're not yep. far away from that. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks. Appreciate it. I keep getting interesting folks like you to actually agree to come on this. So it's <laughs> awesome actually to talk to us. So it's all good. You know, one of the nice benefits of being on the board has been I got to meet a lot of people. If you ever want an intro or you want to, I'm sure you can go find people and you have lots of people that you already know. But if you're ever like, hey, yep. You know, I wonder if this guy would come on. Be very happy to try to facilitate. Yeah, we'll definitely take you up on that. I mean, it's it's very it's cool for us because we get to because this is not like you know this is this is just I mean clearly I'm in this room that like it's not it's a very clearly informal podcast so it's kind of nice we we can ask the questions that we you know like we want to know like we so right. it's just it's always fun to just have these conversations uh, with folks like yourself so appreciate the the offer we'll definitely take you up on it. And thanks for coming on. Like it was, it was really a uh, really a good talk. It's really, you know, I, I you know, the funny thing is I want to keep going, but I know we gotta we gotta we gotta. People are, gonna, people are gonna people are gonna people are gonna gonna be like, why are you doing an hour and a half podcast? So <laughs> yeah, eventually it's gonna have to. I I Seth, I have a feeling it's gonna get longer, but you know, whatever. You can always we're, we're just have to cut people off, right? Yeah. Yeah, or like you said, part two. Uh, yeah. 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 We'll start doing more part twos. I'm sure as, as things progress, we've had a couple of people on a few times, but. Um, hey, I like the t-shirt. Hey. Oh yeah. That's right. Absolute AppSec t-shirts are in. So hey, Matt, send, us, send us over your, uh, your shipping details and we'll, we'll send one to you. Um, anybody that's been on, we're going to start shipping them out here. Um, hopefully mm-hmm. I'll, I'll start at this next week. Uh, me and Ken are going to start following up with people and, you can't be a security guy unless you wear black t-shirts, right? So yeah, I might exactly. I got my cactus con one on, so there you go. Yeah, sweet. Yep. Thought, sweet. Thought, this is ThoughtCon Chicago. Sweet. Nice. Very good. Nice. Free t-shirts are the best t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> well, Thanks, sorry. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get your shirt size and your address and ship them on out. And by the way, this is this is the first time I'm actually seeing this shirt. Like, so yeah, that's just, why they, they, do, they really just came in, you know, like two or three days ago. So, yeah, can you send mine first and then his after? Yeah, yeah, I definitely can. <laughs> Everybody will get there <laughs> before Dan me. wants one. <laughs> no, I don't think he gets it. For all the for all the crap episodes, I I, I don't deserve a T-shirt before everyone else. <laughs> awesome. All right, you guys. Yeah, appreciate it, Matt. Uh, you know, still, Ken and I will be at AppSec Cali. If you haven't heard, uh, we'll be giving our secure code training there. If you're interested, sign up. Um, otherwise, we'll see everybody on online, on Twitter and Slack. Uh, hit us up if you've got any questions. But thanks again to Matt Conda for joining us. Thanks, Ken, for hosting. And we'll talk to everybody next week. 
Have a good night.